Payment. After a patient receives care, a complex billing process begins with insurance claims, out-of-pocket expenses, and an inability for healthcare providers to tell their patients what they will actually end up paying in the end because of the insurance companies and government payers that sit in between the patient and provider. So, how do rural hospitals and healthcare providers ensure they get paid for the care they provide while keeping patients at the forefront? With careful compliance, complex coding, and a constant vigilance to ensure every eligible dollar is accounted for. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 17 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So this is officially the final installment of our series on the five P's we learned from Mark Holmes of the North Carolina Rural Health Research Center. Today, we're wrapping up with the fifth and final P for payment. That's right. We are joined by a friend of Hillsdale Hospital who has actually played a role in helping us with our payment. An instrumental role and a good friend of Hillsdale. Our guest today is Opal Greenway, Director of Stroudwater Associates. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Opal. Hi, Rachel. Hi, JJ. Good to be with you guys today. Opal, why don't you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at Stroudwater? Sure. Um, well, I've been at Stroudwater Associates for just over six years now, and I lead our physician and practice advisory team. I've been leading that team since 2017. Um, I'm very much a reformed lawyer who transitioned from doing tax law into healthcare consulting over the years. I will go ahead and steal how my husband describes me, where he says I'm a kindergarten teacher who works with healthcare administration and physicians to play in the same sandbox and share their toys. Um, no wonder you are so good at what you do and so popular. Is. That yes. sounds perfect. And well sought after. It's the easiest way of describing it because, you know, it's true. Everything we needed to learn, we learned back in kindergarten, right, of, of sharing those toys but playing in that sandbox. But it's amazing that I've ended up at a firm that focuses on directly helping healthcare providers, especially in rural communities, because I get to see that direct impact of our work on a regular basis. It's, it's just such a huge change from providing regulatory reports that were indirect in their impact or might have sat in a desk. So I love it. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. Opal, why I know you, and I've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with you discussing some of the challenges facing rural health. You know, our audience necessarily does not. So what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Well, besides doing CrossFit workouts at five in the morning, I'm sure you're talking about that. Um, but, you know, I know this sounds cheesy, but I really, I want to help people and have an impact. I was very blessed that my grandparents left amazing legacies, whether it was on my mom's side where they were impacting their small communities in the Philippines or my grandpa who opened up a large chain department store that ended up employing hundreds. I just, I got to grow up watching my parents do the same thing. And I want to know that the world, whether it's just my little world of my little family or my community, or as ambitiously as the whole healthcare industry, are left better because I participated. To me, that's that's plenty of reason to get up, even if it doesn't include doing burpees. Well, and certainly a uh, track record that proves that. Uh, Rachel, you know, Opal has spent a lot of time here in Hillsdale mm -hmm. and has helped transform our clinics and has uh, been able to help us see a vision that we didn't think was possible. And uh, she painted the picture 
and uh, she uh, brought us a plan, and she helped us execute it. So uh, definitely your passion has been seen throughout your work here, even at Hillsdale. So, Opal, as we've gone through this series, uh, the five Ps of rural hospital closures, payment has really been a part of the conversation each time uh, because it is so central uh, to the challenges that rural hospitals face. Uh, Part of the reason we're doing this podcast is because rural hospitals struggle financially, so much so that more than 130 have closed since 2010 uh, here in our country. Uh, Today, we're focused on the payment in particular as this concludes the series. And I want to ask you, as we look at this whole picture, what makes payment so difficult in the healthcare industry? Yeah, payments are difficult in healthcare largely because of how complex the process is. I think most of us grew up with the idea of rate times volume equals revenue, and that's not the case in healthcare. You have several payers, each that may have their own rules in their payer contracts, and a large bucket of your payments comes from government payers that are subject to significant regulation that changes throughout the year. Plus the added complexity of patient responsibility. Many patients, they're unsure of what their obligations are and when they kick in. So in order to stay on top of all these moving parts, it really takes a well-oiled and well-resourced machine, which particularly on the resource side of things, as we saw at Hillsdale, it's, it's really difficult and incredibly for rural hospitals to have access to all of those resources. So how are you supposed to stay on top of everything and make sure you're tracking down every dollar that you can when it's not just volume times rate equals revenue? So, so Opal Stroudwater's main focus has been, you know, you have quite a few missions, but ultimately the, the engagement you had with Hillsdale come in and really just take apart our clinics and starting from, you know, the top down. Um, can you explain just a little bit of that work, you know, that you've done with Hillsdale or, or in general what you do with rural health? Yeah, absolutely. So with Hillsdale in particular, it was looking at, you know, how are our clinics operating? We started out with having the honest come to Jesus talk of how are our clinics doing? You know, we think we're doing this. Is this the reality? And here's where we know what our numbers are. We know what our revenue is and we know what our expenses were, but could we be doing better? And so having that objective point of view is always helpful to understand. Here's a baseline set of facts. Here's where we are where could we go? What is that gap? Is it, can we have a 2% improvement? Can we have a 30% improvement? Where are we? And when we come in and look at that, that gap analysis, that diagnostic test of what is our potential, and I have no problem telling somebody, I'm sorry, your baby is ugly. There's no hope. I have to say that's almost never the case. And it definitely wasn't the case on Hillsdale. It was a matter of, okay, we don't have all the resources in the world. We're a rural hospital. So what can we do the best with the resources that we have? And a lot of that is about doing some basic blocking and tackling and a lot of education and engagement with our front lines. Everything of making sure we have our registration team well-informed, well-educated about what their role is, making sure that the people as they're rooming the patients How are they incorporating the patient experience? What management do we have in place? And what are their roles and responsibilities? So that it's not just, I know you might be familiar with the term of team-based care. And a lot of people think about team-based care purely from a clinical aspect of everybody operating at the highest use of their license. I like taking that approach to the entire organization so that everybody feels that ownership and responsibility for the health and welfare of our patients 
and for the organizational financial sustainability so we can continue to provide that care. And when you take that approach and treat everybody as critical to that process, we do a lot of training, we did a lot of education, we put in management tools in place for you guys to stay on top of how things were performing and give people objective, timely feedback as to those areas. I think I think your team was fantastic and just really wanted to run with it and got excited about having that kind of ownership and responsibility of the entire process. They could see, even if I'm just doing front desk registration, I'm impacting healthcare. I'm impacting Absolutely. the health of Hillsdale Hospital. So, you know, Opal, I teach our new employees on patient experience during our general orientation each month, and I always try to give them a high-level explanation of the financial implications of providing a positive patient experience. That's one of the things that you just mentioned. And that's, again, just one example of how payment permeates every single aspect of what we do in healthcare, and it's the only way that we can continue providing for our community. So that said, as you just mentioned, you do come at this issue from many different directions. So what are some of the ways that you work in healthcare organizations to improve and manage their payment structures, increase profitability? It's not just billing practices and correct coding that that impacts this, right? Absolutely. It's not. Well, to be clear, billing practices and correct coding are absolutely critical. You can't have a financially sustainable organization without those. It's definitely not the whole picture. And we work with health core organizations to focus a lot on the blocking and tackling. As I said, rural hospitals are in particularly resource constrained. So when you're wearing 20 different hats, how do you know that you're hitting all the different pieces that you're supposed to every single day? And a key piece of that is having accurate reporting that's done at a consistent cadence. You know, just having your systems in place to understand how critical it is to know Payment reports, should that, what are the ones that need to be monitored daily, weekly, monthly? I know that sounds overwhelming of, I need to read a report every day, but there's certain ones that you do. And, you know, sometimes it, to make the progress, it's as simple as setting up a system for analyzing, say, your cash collections, actual versus potential on a daily basis. And then you give, as we were talking earlier, you give your registration teams ownership of that system. And it's about education, both for the clients and for the patients. It can be as simple as that um, in doing that with your registration team and encourages the team to understand that connectivity. They engage, they're the ones engaging with patients about their bills and making sure, hey, how can we help you, you know, help us in paying for your care, you know, broadening their understanding and their responsibilities that interact with the overall health of an organization that they don't see themselves as a cog in a wheel and reports really help provide that in an objective way. Well, and you taught Hillsdale well because, you know, you helped us create a dashboard that we follow uh, every month and that we report up even to the Board of Trustees. And that's very critical. The, you know, the transparency, number one, but the accountability, you know, that we're seeing those metrics move. And that's so important. Something we didn't do in Rural Health Opal. You know, we just were doing our business, right? We were so busy, worried about meeting this need and that need and starting a project here. And we forget about so many of the things that we have to keep our eye on. Uh, But you taught us well. So thank you so much. So in your experience, what are the biggest challenges rural hospitals face when it comes to payment, you know, in comparison to the urban and in the uh, suburban area hospitals? I mean, it's a lack of resources. There's some of the smartest people I've met in rural hospitals. It's not an absence of talent or ability or care. It's you have to wear how many different hats. Um, I'm sure Rachel and JJ, (laughs) I've never (laughs) once known either of you to just wear one hat. Um, Even though technically CEO is all encompassing and it means you're overall responsible. It's every single hat underneath the hospital and you have to understand where, how to wear that. 
So when it comes to the specifically rural hospitals and payments, you know, a lot of them outsource their revenue cycle due to this lack of internal resources. And when you do that, you might divorce the connectivity between operations and payments. So outsourcing, it can be a great thing. Hopefully you're with one that really under, if you are going to outsource, hopefully you're with one that really understands, you know, the unique payment structures that are available to rural hospitals, such as cost-based reimbursement. They know how to go after that. But some of the contracts I've seen, you know, it sets up the hospital to just turn over the revenue cycle and no longer continuously ask questions, tie it to operations. What can my team who's here locally do better that's impacting how the outsourced resource is tackling revenue cycle? You know, you don't assume that if you're working with them that they know all the specifics to billing and payments. And sometimes the benchmarks they use to evaluate how they're performing for you as a client aren't appropriate for a rural hospital. And you're not appropriately accounting for things. And so, you know, questioning the benchmarks of saying who's included in this comparative group. Is it, am I being compared to Nashville, Tennessee, or to Detroit when I, you know, I'm in Hillsdale? So understanding that and questioning and thinking just because that they're a vendor and that they know what they're doing and that you can't probe and you can't question, I think is really key. So a note to my fellow CEOs listening today, uh, you can't go it alone. Uh, you are going to need the depth of resources that Opal Greenway and her team at Stroudwater can provide. And I would encourage our listeners, uh, if you're struggling in this area and you want someone to come in to do an analysis, uh, by all means, uh, Stroudwater was powerful for changing our program here at Hillsdale Hospital. So I encourage you, uh, as you listen today, to reach out to Opal Greenway at Stroudwater. Now, one of the things you mentioned, um, the outsourcing of revenue cycle, that can be helpful because of the lack of resources, but there also that also could be a misstep depending on how that hospital is working with and managing that vendor. So along those lines, what are some of the other biggest missteps that rural hospitals make when it comes to this? And what's the most important thing or maybe the quickest thing that they can fix to improve their reimbursement? Well, so one of the big missteps that I think rural hospitals make in that is assuming that you have to outsource. Um, thinking that it's, you know, you need to do a really true, you know, buy versus make analysis as to what are your resources, know the talent on your team, what do you have access to. Sometimes it comes from people who are outside of healthcare. Uh, frankly, you know, understanding who might work at the large employer in the community that's outside of the hospital, can they learn? Do they have a really good revenue cycle? Yes, hospitals are very complex, but there's talent in these communities. So don't assume you have to outsource because of a lack of resources. Sometimes you have to get really creative with that. But the other thing, as far as a quick fix and improvement, you know, cash is king. If you need cash in the door, you need to be on top of your denials management is one of the things I would look at. I know that denials management, because it has so many moving parts, I think people shy away from tackling that first as far as improving getting cash in the door. It is what's going to get cash in the door the fastest. Plus, rural hospitals will always have a better success at improving their financial position in this manner than, say, trying to renegotiate their payer contract. HCA can renegotiate its payer contract easily and think that, and they have, you know, the scaling and the ability to argue with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Hillsdale Hospital, a small hospital, is not going to make much progress in trying to argue with a payer over their contracts. Um, another quick fix that I would recommend looking at is doing a really detailed cost report review to see how the cost report is impacting your financials. There's so many moving parts on the cost report. 
that and how you allocate different things on a cost report really impact your reimbursement rate if you're on a cost-based reimbursement. Uh, two of my colleagues, Jonathan Pattenberg and Eric Schell, they're absolutely whizzes with the cost report. That's not my area of expertise. And I don't think I've had them work with me on a client yet where they're not finding an adjustment that results in a positive impact to the hospital. So it might impact their payment for the next year, which is why I say denial is first. But it's something that, frankly, it's a low investment to do it. You should do it on an annual basis. Just have a second pair of eyes on your cost report. So, Opal, how many times in your engagement have you heard this phrase? That will not work here. We are different. Have you heard that a time or two? (laughs) Everybody is a unique and special snowflake, and yet you're all snowflakes. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, exactly right. Yeah, I I mean, I, I do hear that on a regular basis. Um, we're different. And oftentimes it is a matter of, I mean, we specialize with rural healthcare. I'm not comparing you to, you know, uh, NYU Langone or anything of that nature. I'm comparing you to the other hospitals. And I will say there, each, each group comes with their unique challenges that are specific to them. Nobody has the same exact blend and recipe of issues, but you think about it, it goes into categories your revenue cycle, you know, denial management, don't care who you are. You might have a different reason why your denial management is not going well. You might have an individual who doesn't understand reports and that needs that kind of education, but denial management is denial management. Productivity is productivity. You have to, you know, as much as, again, you're a unique and special snowflake, you're still a snowflake. (laughs) So, you know, one of the uh, stats that I gave at the opening of this in a question was, you know, 130 rural hospitals have closed since 2010. And uh, Becker's recently came out with a long list uh, of hospitals that are at risk of closing. In fact, uh, the number, the overall number was close to a thousand hospitals and of rural hospitals that would represent around 230 uh, that are at risk of closing in the next two years. And that's, that's huge. So understanding that hospitals during covid Some of them didn't make it, Opal, and some of them, you know, they had to close their doors. Um, Understanding that, what are some of the strategies hospitals should be employing to turn those things around and move in the right direction? So I would say you need to take, especially for rural hospitals, you have to take advantage of your regulatory options. And I'm not just saying that because I am a reformed lawyer and I love like understanding regulations, not saying I love regulations, I love that I understand them. You know, (laughs) you you need to take advantage of what's available to you. Work within the system that you have, but to work within the system that you have to an optimized way, you have to fully understand it and rely on those resources to have it. One of the things that we looked at for Hillsdale is making sure you optimize your clinic designation. That's absolutely key. It's not available to everyone. It's available for rural hospitals, do you have clinics that are in a, a health professional shortage area? You know, a HIPSA, um, you know, understanding your 340B, are you taking full advantage of that? And I mean, full advantage. Maybe mm-hmm. this is where that cost report review comes into play. Some people are like, oh, yeah, I'm getting 340B. Have you actually optimized it? You know, there's legislative changes all the time. And those changes that have changed some of the strategies for the rural hospitals and what they can take advantage of, they're still critical to understand, have you unlocked every possible thing that you can. And that's why sometimes it takes an outside pair of eyes because nobody can know everything, you know, and some of these and understand are longer term strategies. So if you receive some of those beneficial payments, you know, and you actually did come out of COVID with saying, okay, hey, look, we have more cash than we've ever had because of the advanced payments. You need to think about the long-term strategy 
and how these regulations may change over time, how they impact your, you know, if it impacts your facility design and where you locate certain services, you have to have a holistic approach to a regulatory change and see how it actually interacts with all the moving parts to set yourself up for success. Look at your partnerships. I mean, realistically, not everybody, not every hospital should have survived COVID. I know that's sacrilegious to say, but there's some of them that are not getting it right. And sometimes you have duplicative services in a relatively small geographic area that if you're constantly competing and at each other's throat, nobody's going to survive, which really is detrimental to the community. So understanding your regulatory options, understanding your potential partnerships, you know, doing a good triage as to what, how does this impact my long-term strategy? Plan for being in existence five years from now. If you're constantly trying to say, how am I going to tread water for the next 30 days? You're not going to make it to 60 days. So, you know, have that mentality of, I want to be here five years from now. What's it going to take? And do those things. It's interesting what you said about COVID because, you know, there are hospitals who closed during COVID who didn't survive, like JJ said. And then there are hospitals that were it not for the CARES Act mm-hmm. would have closed by now because of the cash positions they were in before mm-hmm. the pandemic even hit, mm-hmm. regardless of if the pandemic hit. Hospitals that were on that trajectory yeah. and are are still afloat because of the CARES Act. Um, and to your point, you know, that that can be a, a good thing and a bad thing, right, because of, of how and why they were in that position in the first place. Um, but with rural health care, you know, we talk about the the fact that, you know, the norm is to be losing a little money and to break even is the goal. And if you do more than break even, it's like, wow, look at you, you know, <laughs> that's a big deal. Yeah. So um, when it comes to things like this, I mean, any any sort of increase could be the difference between red and black for a hospital. It could be the difference between closing and not closing. So in your experience with some of these kinds of strategies you're talking about, how drastic of a turnaround can hospitals really see when they implement the right strategies? Are we talking half a percent, five percent? What's the potential pickup when healthcare providers are taking the right steps and using the right strategies? So the lawyer in me will, of course, say it depends. Right. <laughs> um, and throw that out there. You know, we see clients who are, you know, if you're if you're 90 percent of the way there, your pickup may only be a half a percent because you're doing a lot of it. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often with the work that we do. The phone calls I get are the people who are several points in the hole. Right. They're in the red. They're near. The, maybe they're break even and such. But they're like, we we know we won't be here in five years. if It's the status quo. Mm-hmm. And this kind of gets to the special snowflake. Uh, comment is, you know, when I see this, it's always the same types of issues. It's a lack of, you know, it's the same basics. It's a lack of blocking and tackling because of, and oftentimes because of a lack of resources. So not knowing how to maximize every, you know, every drop out of what you have. And so tackling those basics with the education that they need of and enabling people to wear more hats, but feel comfortable wearing that. So they're not dropping, you know, things left and right. It, those have a much larger impact. I'm actually working actively with a system right now where, you know, looking through it, we're expecting to cut their losses by 20%, which is going to set them up. Mm. I'm talking about 20% in the next year. If they, if we are able to do that and get them set up realistically in the physician practice side of things, they might be able to c- cut their losses by 50%. That's how far, wow. you know, on the one hand, they've dug themselves into a hole but they're they're missing a lot of those basics. I mean, that's going to translate significantly to the whole organization's bottom line 
over the next several years, they're going to, if we get through this and are able to implement stuff, they are going to be around five, 10 years from now. But part of that is, you know, as far as that impact for the ones we were talking about from the CARES Act, if you got money under the CARES Act and you find yourself in a better position than you've ever been, now's the time to say, how do we maximize the squeeze out of that? Because there's not going to be another CARES. You know, we're not getting right. a payout like that. No. You can't count on it. So you need to, okay, if we have this in right now, if we have access to, like, for example, if we have access to USDA financing right now, how can we make this last? And it's not just a matter of cash management of saying, how can I make this last? you know, and spread it out to cover losses for multiple years is how can I invest in myself so I don't have losses going forward? Correct. What are, what's the investment that I've deferred? You know, is it hiring? I mean, staffing is one of the biggest issues for no matter where you are in the hospital with the OR, the clinic revenue cycle, they're always short staffed. So maybe now's an investment time and an investment in education so that the people who might be, you know, my nurses now can be nurse managers by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, Opal, we have come to the end of our interview today. And as always, I could spend hours just listening to you and uh, honestly, the wisdom that you bring and the experience and, you know, the unique position because you have been everywhere and you have seen every every situation. Uh, you have been at hospitals who've been on the top and you've been at hospitals that have been on the bottom. And uh, you've been very successful in your role at helping hospitals pull out of this. And uh, it is, uh, it's a daunting task uh, as a hospital administrator to look at some of the things that we have to look at on a daily basis and manage your risk and manage your quality because that drives reimbursement and look at how are you handling your revenue cycle and all of these factors. But what's comforting to know is that there's resources like Opal. Uh, through Stroudwater, who can provide that service to your hospital and help you turn it around. So, Opal, it has been a pleasure uh, to have you on our program today, but even more so to get to know you over the years and to have your uh, expertise, uh, maybe not so much as an attorney, but as <laughs> someone who who certainly knows uh, the revenue cycle and knows uh, process improvement and knows how to build dashboards. Uh, you've been phenomenal with us. So thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, JJ and Rachel. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. Today, we have an experience from Marilyn, who was a patient in our emergency department. This is Marilyn's story. Marilyn couldn't walk from her living room to the kitchen without getting out of breath, but she didn't think much of it. It wasn't until she went to a party that a friend noticed how winded she became while walking to her car. She was told right then and there that she was going to the emergency room. Marilyn didn't argue. She was quickly admitted to the ER at Hillsdale Hospital. They took one look at me and they knew I was in trouble, Marilyn said. The doctors discovered that she had a blood clot in her lung. I was scared, she admitted, but I calmed down pretty fast once I was in their care. With the help of her doctors, she finally understood why she was feeling so out of breath and the treatment she needed to recover. Marilyn stayed at Hillsdale Hospital for three or four days after coming to the ER. The care at the hospital was excellent, she explained. I do not have one single complaint. I felt like they saved my life. In fact, they gave me a new lease on life. Marilyn said that the trip to the ER was a wake-up call for her. 
and she decided to improve her health. The retired Camden Frontier school teacher saw many familiar faces while she was at the hospital, which she said she enjoyed. I know I was being looked out for by people who care, she said. That helped a lot in my recovery. Hillsdale Hospital has professionals I can trust. Now, JJ, you know Marilyn. Marilyn is a friend of the hospital. Um, she is someone that keeps in touch with us and keeps in touch with what's going on here at the hospital, is uh, definitely a friend of Hillsdale Hospital. And it's great to have a story from a patient whose experience really made a huge difference to them, especially in the emergency room. We think about emergency care as being in a, t- a time when people are their most vulnerable. So when we can take care of them in that setting so that they are, you know, doing well at the end of the day, but so much so and with such a great experience that it's something they can share as positively as this, it really tells you a lot about the value of rural health care. And Rachel, it's the beauty of rural health in general because uh, Marilyn was actually my high school typing teacher. Really? Absolutely. And I had a chance right after this happened to run into Marilyn at the coffee shop. This is rural America, right? And Mm -hmm. Marilyn came up and she gave me a big hug and she shared her experience uh, of how the emergency department essentially saved her life. Mm -hmm. And it was a remarkable story, but that's the joy of being in rural health. You know, I hear those stories all the time, shopping at Walmart uh, to going into the gas station. You hear those stories. So uh, Marilyn's story, as unique as it is, it is special uh, to the life of living in Hillsdale County, rural America. Before we close, Opal, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. Uh, So we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or your favorite memory that is unique to rural life? So, well, I grew up on a ranch in Idaho, and I definitely, I didn't appreciate it until I was living in New York, and now, um, now I live in Nashville. And I have to say the outdoors is key to me and having access. I love trail running, and when I get to visit rural communities now for work, it reminds me I can just actually step right outside and go run and explore as opposed to in a larger urban area. I feel like I have to map out where I'm going. I have to drive somewhere to be able to go for that run. Um, And being actually in rural, the fresh air of running and exploring in that way and experiencing a community that way, knowing if I get lost, I can just ask somebody how to get back to somewhere rather than frankly, in other places, I would rather rely on my phone to get me back rather than talking to somebody. So um, I mean, as far as my favorite, that's that's my favorite part about being in rural communities. I want to say from a unique perspective is <laughs> I was driving with one of my colleagues uh, across, I want to say it was Iowa, and we did get stuck behind a, a herd of cows on a highway, and we couldn't go anywhere. We were two hours late to a meeting. Um, you know, texting them and like, there's, there's no way to get around. There was no moving them off. It was just, we just followed the cows for a while. And they probably understood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've never had a client. I've, I've had been delayed for tornadoes. I've been delayed for cows. You know, I've been delayed for all sorts of reasons. And I've never had a rural client ever complain or not understand about it. True story. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Opal. Well, thank you, both. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about rural health leadership and what it's like to be a hospital leader in rural America today. Our guest for that episode is a leadership development expert who specifically works with rural hospital CEOs. So be sure to tune in.
And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct voicemail line at 269-447-1265 and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. You can also email us your story at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Opal Greenway, director at Stroudwater Associates. For more interviews like this and more information, or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit ruralhealthrising.com.